pray that you take us there, how uncomfortable it may be, that you would take us to a place where we'd be eager, not to just fit you into our schedule, but we'd be eager to see you, to see your beauty, to see your truth. get caught up in chasing the world right now. So many things going on. So many of your children, myself included, get caught up in this this world where we chase after areas that are incomplete. We chase after humanity. We chase after ideas presented by men. I pray that it would be our passion, our desire to keep one thing in mind. What does it look like to pursue you right now? In light of a crumbling world, what does it look like to pursue you? What will the church's response be? my heart's response be, and how will I point this dark world, this dark country right now to your light, flaws and all, we thank you, we thank you for meeting with us here, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, If you have your Bibles, let's open them up. Uh, Luke chapter 2, four weeks to get through one. We finally arrived to two, and we'll see how long that takes us. So um, two weeks ago, uh, we found ourselves looking at, at one of... Two miraculous births uh, as John the Baptist enters into the world to begin really his commission as the forerunner of Jesus. And then I said that that week and when we arrive to this week, what it would do is it would help us see really just the incredible amount of mercy that God extends to us in these verses by by displaying his love uh, in John's birth, and then again this morning in the arrival of, of baby Jesus. And, and what we said is really we're, 
Last time we explored two things that were at play, and uh, the third one would be today. And so, so we started by saying that, number one, God's mercy meant joy, and it meant praise for both Elizabeth and, and Zechariah, because Elizabeth has joy because not only does she have this son, but, but also the reproach of the people has been taken away from her uh, since she moved from being barren to giving birth at, at an old age. Now, that's not to say uh, that being barren for her was a punishment from God, but, but that Elizabeth's joy uh, is experienced by her, and it's experienced by her community because they see the undeniable hand of God. And, and then with Zechariah, we spend our time uh, in his prophecy as, as again, his, his, his tongue was loosed and he begins to praise God. And, and he talks about the role that John would serve as uh, in the story of God as, as the prophet of, of the Most High. And, and we saw in that uh, prophecy that, that number two, God's mercy meant salvation and it meant worship. For Israel, that, that God's goal uh, all the time is that he would be worshipped and worshipped properly. And, and so, so this is great news because this extends to us that, that verse 78 uh, in chapter 1 declares how, how because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of, of peace. And so what we get this morning is that, that this sunrise breaks the horizon, uh, beginning in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, that, that, that light is going to shine and the darkness is going to flee and we're going to see the path of peace made available to us because of the arrival of, of baby Jesus. And, and so, so let me go ahead and just very quickly make the mercy connection uh, by, by saying early on that, uh, that number three today, God's mercy means the highest glory uh, through Jesus Christ. God's mercy means the highest glory. And so, so as we travel through these verses, we're going to see uh, the glory of God put on display and that, that his plan to redeem us from the darkness of sin uh, was through the merciful sending of, of his only son. And, and now, these verses are magnificent. And, and the circumstances of, of Joseph and Mary's lives, and, and them being placed in the exact right place at the exact right time that God foretold, just makes this scene incredible. And then these verses will be majestic as as the angel of the Lord will visit some shepherds and, uh, and, and then a multitude of heavenly hosts will, will break out in worship. And, and I, am, I am so excited that I get to worship with the, in these verses with you this morning. It's by far one of my favorite places because, because there's going to be some verses, some words said here that bring us just, just incredible joy, at least prayerfully. That's what this whole week's been for me. So, so let's pray and let's, let's dive in. Father, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that when we open your Bible that we get to see a history that has actually happened. 
so that when we place our faith in your son, that, that we know we are placing our faith in, in a person who actually lived and, and that he was sent by you, the one true living God. And so what we pray this morning is that we would be very mindful of your footsteps and your handprints in these verses. And that as a result of it, we would be able to worship as the heavenly hosts do. That we would be able to give you all the glory because we experience all of the peace. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, let me just read you. I'm going to read you 20 straight verses, okay? If you fall asleep in the middle of it, that's all right. I understand. So here we go. Verse 1, chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and, and all went to be registered, each to his own town and and joseph also went up from galilee from the town of nazareth to judea to the city of david which is called bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of david and joseph went to be registered with mary his betrothed who was with child and while they were there the time came uh, for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, uh, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Verse 19, but Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So there's, there's really, uh, guys, honestly, there is a ton, a uh, good amount of things we can say in regards to color commentating uh, these incredible scenes. There really is. I mean, we could 
we could come in and we could take the early verses and we could try to walk in the shoes of Joseph and, and Mary as they, they look for a place to stay while, um, while at the same time her water apparently breaks and, and, and what we would assume to be a fairly hectic few hours of their lives, we we could we could take some time and we could explore uh, the significance of God speaking to to lowly shepherds in a field. These these men who were not respected by the Jewish people because of the nature of their work and 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 the fact that they are um, the, the rules that the Jewish people had kept them from being ceremonially clean. Uh, that that and we could talk about how how God would treat them with such amazement and, and worship-filled, um, and with this worship-filled announcement where, where heaven breaks out in worship on earth. And, but, but what I want to do is I want to come to single in on about four verses out of this that, that make the most of Jesus uh, in this entire passage. And, and what I pray is that we would be able to celebrate the wonders of, that's found in this in this text that that, that we're going to talk about glory and we're going to talk about peace as God's mercy is is displayed. But but we're going to take a little bit of a scenic route to help us better understand uh, when we arrive at our final destination. Uh, and so so the angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds and he says this in verse 11 for unto you is born this day. Okay, so here's what I want us to re- realize in this moment, that for unto you is born this day. So this is a day that is in real history. Real history. It happened on a day, a day in history. Not a day in some mythological or some imaginary story, but it's a day when, when Caesar Augustus is emperor of Rome. When, when Quirinius was the governor of of, of Syria. So, so this is a day that was planned in eternity before the creation of, of all the worlds. Indeed, uh, the whole universe with, with untold light years of space and billions of galaxies was created and made glorious for this day and what it means for human history. The book of Colossians tells us that, that for by him, so being Jesus, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So for him, for his appearing on this day. Galatians chapter 4 will tell us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So this happens on a day, the the perfect day in the fullness of time, the perfect time when God appointed, uh, a a perfect time that's appointed by God before the foundation of the world. This is what the angel says, for unto you is born this day, then he says this, in the city of David. In the city of David. So in a real world. In a real world. This, this happened in an actual city. It doesn't happen in Narnia. 
It doesn't happen in Middle Earth. It doesn't happen in a galaxy far, far away. It happened in a city that is a little over 7,000 miles from the place that we're sitting right now. In fact, um, the city's name is Bethlehem. And it says in Luke chapter 2 that Joseph also went from Galilee to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So, so Bethlehem is about six miles away from Jerusalem. In fact, uh, Bethlehem is the city where, where Jesse lived, where the father of David lived, where the great king of Israel comes from. Bethlehem is the city that Micah would prophesy over hundreds of years before this moment when he says this, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So, so this happens in a city, a real, real city, like the city you live in. So he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. And then we get some descriptors about who this baby will become. Or really, who this baby is. And he says this, in the city of David, born unto you this day, in the city of David, a Savior. To take away all your guilt. A Savior. If you've, if you've ever sinned against God, you need a Savior. And I promise you this, you have. And so the angel says to Joseph, you shall call his name. This is in Matthew chapter 1. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, so only God can forgive sins against us. Okay, Only God can do that. And that's why God sent his eternal son into the world, because he is God. That's why Jesus said, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Therefore, a Savior was born. But not just a Savior. The angel says, a Savior who is Christ. So we have a, a Christ who fulfills all of our hope. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. So Christ is the English word for Christos, uh, which, which means anointed one, uh, which, which is the meaning of, of the Messiah. This is the, this one long predicted, long awaited, the one anointed to be above all others. This is what we get to celebrate in these verses, that, that the final anointed king, the final anointed prophet, the final anointed peace, uh, priest, that the word will say that, that, that in, in him, in Christ, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. That comes from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So, so he would fulfill all the hopes and the dreams of, of godly Israel. And he would do more, vastly more. Because not only is he Savior, but he's also the Christ, but he's also the Lord. So in the Lord, what we have is, is he defeats all our enemies and he makes us both safe and he makes us satisfied forever. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the ruler, the sovereign, the mighty God, the everlasting Son of God, the Lord of the universe. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll put it this way. Again, 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this moment. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. There will be no end. So, so we celebrate this uh, just, just not during Christmas, because again, this, these verses typically today to talk about them today is to be out of place because we think of them as as Christmas uh, verses, right? Uh, but what we get to celebrate, we don't just celebrate during Christmas, but we get to celebrate this every day that we have a a great Savior who is Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Lord, who is born on a day in a city to save us from our sins, our, our many sins. And then, that, that in itself, these words are, are praiseworthy. But what Luke gives us next is a gift. Because the angel announces this great news to the shepherds, and, and he points them to the very animal shed where the baby would be laid. And, and suddenly, a multitude of angels appear in the sky. That, that evidently, one angel can bring the news, but it doesn't suffice for one angel to respond to the news. And so, so the meaning of this news, the, the ultimate outcome of this news demands a large gathering of angels. So verse 13 said it this way, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Now pay attention to what it said here, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, so the joyful news that, that, that on a day, at the perfect time, in the perfect prophesied city, a perfect Savior was born, who was Christ the Lord, and this news has two great outcomes. Has two great purposes. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, so the, the coming of this child will be the greatest revelation of the glory of God, even among the heights of heaven. And the coming of this child will bring peace to God's people who will one day fill the whole earth with righteousness and peace. Isaiah 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So let's, let's talk about these two things, these two purposes. Number one, glory to God. So we have glory that's ascending from man to God. First and foremost, God is glorified because this child is born. And then secondly, peace is spread everywhere this child is received. So, so these are the great purposes for the coming of Jesus. Glory ever ascending from man to God peace ever descending from God to man. God's glory sung out among men for the sake of his name. God's peace lived out among men for the sake of his name. There, there's hardly a, a better way to sum up what God was about when he created the world or, or when he came to reclaim the world in Jesus, that, that his glory is our peace. His greatness is 
is our joy. His, his beauty is our pleasure. That the point of creation and redemption is that God is glorious and he means to be known and he means to be praised for his glory by a peace-filled humanity. That's, that's the purpose. So when we say, what is God about? This is what he's about. He's about his glory being on display. And we know that his glory is most felt in our heart when we are at peace with him. In fact, we find that his glory is most put on display when we are at peace with him, even in the midst of trial and tribulation. Because he gives us a peace. This is what Jesus will tell us. I'm giving you a peace that will drive you through. That as you abide in me, you don't have to worry about any of the circumstances of your life. Because you live under the covenant of my promise. So, so that's what we have. We have glory to God. We have this, this glory that ascends from man to God. From, from our mouths, from our actions. And then we have, secondly, peace for man. We have peace that descends from God to man. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That the point is that even though God offers, that God's offer of peace goes out to all, what we find is that only his chosen people, the people who received Christ and trust him as Savior and Messiah and Lord, only those people experience the peace that he brings. So, so you get a glimpse of this meaning uh, in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is going to talk to his disciples and he's sending them out and, and he'll say this. He'll say that whatever house you, into, you enter, first say, peace be to this house. So that's the offer to all. And, and if a son of peace is there, then your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And so what we find as we read the word is that there are two camps. That there will be the sons of peace and then there will be the sons who don't have peace. And so God's peace in Christ is offered to the world, but only the sons of peace receive it. And so how do you know if you are a son of peace? How do you know if you're part of the angel's promises as they say peace among uh, those with whom he is pleased? Well, the answer is, is you welcome the peacemaker into your heart. That you give your life over to him. Not just a compartment, not just a check that you would like to, to bucket list. Eh, I don't want to end up in hell, you know. But that you would look at Christ and you would see how magnificent he is. You would see glory to God in the highest. And you would see peace among those with whom he's pleased. And you would say, I want to know the peacemaker. I want each and every moment of my life to be there. That, that God's purpose is to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. That's his goal. That, that five times in the New Testament, he is called the God of peace. You can jot these down if you'd like. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 33. Uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. If you didn't get those down, I will not give them to you either. So don't ask. Don't do it. Um, and then Jesus will say, my peace I give to you in John chapter 14. And Paul will say that Jesus himself is our peace. 
in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. And so, so what this means is that, that the peace of God or the peace of Christ can never be separated from God himself and Christ himself because they are our peace. They are peace. And so if we want peace to rule in our lives, God must rule. Not, not first in our lives because he's not a checklist. God just must simply rule in our lives. Isn't that the trap that we create in our own world, in our own mindset, that, that I'm a child of God, and then I'm a, I'm a parent, and then I'm a spouse, and then I'm a co-worker, and then I'm a friend. And, and the problem with the checklist life is that at what point do you check off the first one? If you say, well, God's, God's most important, so he gets to be first, at what point in the day do you say, spent my time with you, God, all right, moving on to number two? You don't. And so, so this isn't a matter of, of God must rule first in your life. It's that God must reign and rule over your entire life. That he becomes the center of it, and then all of these other compartments are just spokes that come off of the wheel. And so, so what this means is that, that, that the key to peace is, is keeping together what the angels keep together. Both glory to God and peace to man. A heart that is bent on showing the glory of God will know the peace of God. Okay, hear me. A heart that is bent on showing the glory of God will know the peace of God. And what holds the two together? God getting the glory and we getting the peace is believing or trusting in faith that the promises of God are obtained by Jesus. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, is one of the most fundamental texts when it points to this crucial role of faith. It says that, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. In other words, the way God promises to become real for us or to produce peace in us and through us is through faith. It's through that we believe Him. Start laughing about that. So, so my great, my desperate desire for you is that you would enjoy this peace and you would celebrate this peace in your own heart. That's that's my desire. We know that there are global aspects to this peace that lie in the future. That when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the seas, as as Habakkuk tells us in chapter 2. But, but Jesus has come to inaugurate this peace. This peace among God's people. And there are, there, there are three relationships. And we're gonna, I'm going to give them to you quickly. There's three relationships that he wants you to pursue this peace and to, to enjoy this peace. And that would be peace with God, peace with your own soul, and peace with other people. Peace with God. Let's talk about that. It's the largest, it's the most basic need that we have in our life is peace with God. That, that this is foundational to all of our pursuits of peace. If we don't go here first, then, then all other experiences of peace uh, will be superficial and they'll be temporary. 
that, that, that in Christ, God's anger at us because of our sin is put away. Our rebellion against him is overcome. That, that God adopts us into his family, and from now on, all of his dealings with us are for our good. Even in, our dis- even in his discipline of us. It's for our good. It's for our, our benefit that he will never, hear me when I say this, he will never be against you if you are indeed found in Christ Jesus. He is our father. He is our friend. We have peace. We don't need to be afraid anymore. This is, this, again, this is foundational above all the other compartments. That, that second layer, so we not only do we, do, do we have peace with God, we have peace with ourselves. And perhaps this is the hardest one for some of us to get our hearts and our minds around. Uh, because we have peace with God, because of being justified by faith, we can begin to grow in the enjoyment of peace with ourselves. And here's where, where I include any sense of guilt or anxiety that tends to paralyze us or to make us hopeless. Because here again, believing the promises of God with a view of to glorify God is, in our lives is, is key. That because of Jesus, we can take our anxieties to him in prayer and we can trust that he will carry them for us. And that he will protect us. That, that when we do this, when we come to him, when we, when we remember we already have peace with him and when we trust him as our loving and our almighty heavenly father to help us, his peace comes to us. And you know what it does? It steadies us. It makes, when the waves hit, it gives us a firm foundation to stand strong so the waves don't knock us over. It protects us of the, the debilitating, the disabling effects of fear and anxiety and, and guilt. And then we're able to carry on. And our God gets the glory for, for what we do because we've just trusted Him. Have you realized that in Christ Jesus, you don't have to be your own worst enemy? You don't. So we have peace with God, we have peace with ourselves, and then, and then what we find is, is that peace with others is available. And I think this is the third relationship that God wants us to enjoy his peace. It's in our relationships with, with other people. And this is the one that, that we have the least amount of control over. In fact, uh, we need to say this carefully. In fact, we need to say this the way that Paul says it in, in Romans chapter 12 when he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so, so for many of us, we find ourselves in some some awkward and some painful relationships, that, that some of the pain is, is very old and some of it's very new. And, and in some relationships, you know what you have to do, no matter how hard it is. And in some of them, you're baffled and you don't know what the path of peace calls for. And I think in both cases, the key is trusting the promises of God with a heartfelt awareness of how he forgave you in Christ. And I'm not making that up. 
go, go ahead, spend some time in the Gospels when Jesus gives us the parable of the unmerciful servant. And how all debts, how all wounds that we receive in our life get filtered through this lens of, of how has God forgiven me? And then who am I to hold a grudge when I've been forgiven such an incredible debt? And I think the text that puts this together most powerfully, at least for me, again and again, is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, when, when Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, let it be put away from you, along with malice. And then he gives us an alternative, not an alternative, he gives us a choice when it comes to our emotions. He says, Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So, so we continually cultivate this sense of amazement that in spite of all your sins, God has forgiven you through Christ. That we would be amazed that you have peace with God and it's this sense of amazement that I, a sinner, have peace with God. That makes the heart tender. And that makes the heart kind. And that lends the path for forgiveness. And it extends this to others 70 times, 7 times. Which there's no way to do that kind of math. That's too big of a number. And now here's what we know. That sometimes that can be thrown back in our face. I mean, it certainly was thrown back in Jesus' face on the cross. And that hurts. And it can make you bitter if you're not careful. And what the Word will tell you is to don't let it. It says, it says keep being more amazed that your wrongs are forgiven than that you are wrong. Just be amazed that, that, that you have peace with God. You have peace with your soul. Your guilt is taken away. And then what will happen is, is you will be like the angels who say, Glory to God in the highest is the first thing. And then peace among his people is the second thing. That's why I love these, those verses. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is why he came. On a day, in a city, as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the Sovereign, that God would get glory and you would know peace. And I cannot think of another moment in my life where peace has been more needed than in this season. Like we are, well, I, I think we are a world on fire. Um, but, but if anything we've learned from this week and really these, these past couple months is that we're a nation on fire. We have no peace as a people. As a citizen, as citizens of this nation, we are not at peace. And surely, surely you've seen that by now. 
But that doesn't mean that peace is not available to us. Because Paul will tell us that we're not citizens of this world, that we are sons and daughters of a king. And our citizenship rests in the heavenly realms. That, that we can be at peace today, in this moment. And it really doesn't matter which side of the political aisle you fall on and, and what your views on of this people group doing this or that people group doing that. That, that there is a way to see the glory of God and there is a way to walk in peace. When what the enemy wants you to do is to walk in fear. The enemy in this season wants you to ignore and to forget and to not know any of the promises of God. He wants you to ignore these promises where God says, I will sustain you. I will perform miraculous things around you. He wants you to ignore in God's goodness. So there is peace. Like, I, I, I am so thankful for what the Holy Spirit has been doing in my heart this week. Because he keeps reminding me that even in darkness, that any time a light shines, the darkness flees. So I said this last week that, that one of the things that 2020 taught me is that how, how, how little my voice is when it comes to like, like nationwide matters. Like I believe in the importance that I have a vote, so my vote should matter and it should count. And, you know, um, but, but by and large, what happened uh, this week specifically in Washington, I, I couldn't have stopped. I couldn't have walked up there and be like, hey guys, everybody calm down. That voice doesn't do anything. But I'll tell you this, there is a voice that I have in my area. I have a voice in my home. I have a voice in my church. I have a voice in my community. I have people who need to know that God loves them. And so my determination is to spend my breath making that known. I heard, I heard a quote this week. Uh, in fact, I think it was the, the podcast you sent, you know, where the guy said, you know, um, every night people will spend four or five hours on uh, Fox News, but we'll spend only 10 minutes in the Bible. And no wonder why our hearts feel disproportionate when it comes to the circumstances of the world. You realize that, right? That you don't have to stand in a rocking boat. That God says, I am your anchor. I am that Christ is the solid rock on which we stand. And so we can, in this season, have thoughts, we can have desires, we can have views. But none of those voices can be any louder than glory to God in the highest. And peace among men 
for whom he is pleased. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that that the story of Jesus is not a myth and it's not a fable that that, that Christ is exactly who you sent to display your glory to make possible our path to freedom and our path to peace. Father, thank you that we are at peace with you because of Jesus. I thank you that we are at peace with ourselves because of Jesus, that we don't have to try to measure up to our own selves, that that we get to rest knowing that we are yours. And the love of Christ can't separate us no matter how hard and no matter how difficult the circumstance. There is nothing that can separate us from Christ's love. So Jesus, I pray that you would become very real to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would would just cover us with that peace. That you would give us eyes of of wisdom and, and foresight to know how we can see through the lies of the enemy today. And Father, I pray as we sing in this reprise that one thing remains. With a world on fire, Father, one thing remains. And it's your love. So let that be the celebration of our lives. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name.